Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stand Up for the Truth. We always appreciate you right now listening online. We see you. Actually, we don't see you physically. We see where you're listening from. Crash pulls up the map of the country, and there are red dots in different states. And so we thank you for tuning in online. And obviously, there are people who will be downloading the podcast later. But a very important topic today. I've been wanting to do a podcast on Freemasonry, and we're going to do that today, hitting a lot of different points with someone who has experience from a family member who was a Mason, at least starting out, and it's going to be a fascinating conversation, I believe. But we're going to really contrast Freemasonry and biblical Christianity and see where that takes us. So we need to know how to respond to these things because it is one of those very confusing mysterious, maybe deceptive religions. But I just want to remind everybody in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about the word of the cross being foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And uh, we know that uh, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Just wanted to share that. And remember, to uh, Thursday, uh, bring your Bible to school day if you still have uh, children in the government-run schools, my f- friend Alex Newman refers to as government brainwash camps. You can bring the Bible to school, and you hopefully will not have any issues. I think that's still allowed in America. I think that's still allowed in this country, but I haven't checked recently. Okay, so um, remember to go check out our resources, standupforthetruth.com. Upper menu bar resources will take you to over 200 resources, links, and sites and ministries you would probably want to support and follow. But today, we're so blessed, friends, to have Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, Illinois. He's been there since 1994. He was called to be the senior pastor there in 1999. He's served in that capacity since. And in 2005, the church streamed or started streaming praise and worship along with the reading and teaching of God's Word on the radio station, if you're in that area of northern Illinois, WLGS is 101.5, and you can also listen online. Uh, he hosts, John does, the Cleansing Word podcast, and he and his wife Lily have been married for 43 years. They have two children, five grandchildren, and John, by the way, is a graduate of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa School of Ministry. And by the way, he also spent 20 years as a brick mason. John, Brother, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Hi, David. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well. I've, I've been so looking forward to this podcast with you. Um, we met in, gosh, 15-plus years ago, maybe more, when Rosanna was doing her music ministry, and we were traveling through southern Wisconsin, Indiana, northern Illinois, and you were one of the churches that said, yeah, come on in and have Rosanna uh, open up the service with worship. And since then, we've kept in touch. We've been down there many times. And it's just a blessing to have that connection and uh, 
have uh, good friends there. So um, how's your church doing? I know you had some renovations or you had some issue with the radio station in your facility. Oh, yeah. Um, our church is doing well. We're a small church, have always been a small church, but uh, we are turning 30 at the end of or beginning of December, December technically. <laughs> so we're going to have our 30th anniversary as a fellowship. And, uh, yeah, this year we've had some challenges with uh, electric, either lightning strikes or surges. I believe the first one was a surge that mm-hmm. took out a lot of our equipment from video equipment in the church to radio station equipment. We had to buy a new board. And uh, just maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, actually it was the end of August, we had a storm front come through. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I think we had to get a lightning strike. We had taken steps to kind of ground things and mm-hmm. make sure that we could avoid the troubles. And it still got us. So our brand new soundboard is uh, not healthy anymore, and have to get it repaired. And yeah, it's been a challenging year from the perspective of uh, you know the Word of God tells us that Satan is the prince of the airwaves, and I mm. think he doesn't like us sometimes uh-huh. when we're in his territory. And so we've been hit a couple of times this year, brother. We can relate about being on on the enemy's hit list, but I'll tell you this. Um, I want to tell you, friends, if you're in that area, I was down there just uh, earlier this year, I think March or April, and I, I it was eye-opening, maybe I hadn't noticed before, how many churches are in that area. So it seems to be a very religious area, but I'll tell you what, I highly encourage you to check out Calvary Chapel in Lake Villa. It's on North Fairfield Road, and you can click on the podcast link, standupforthetruth.com. We'll have all Pastor John's information there. So before we get to talking about how you grew up with mom and dad being part of the Masonic Lodge, and your dad very involved, I think 33 degrees or something, I want to read a brief introduction, and then, John, I'd love to get your thoughts on the introduction before we dive into your family history. So I've been studying this for several years. Um, Freemasonry is a religion, and it is not Christian. We want to say that right off the top. Some say Freemasonry is not a religion. Others claim it's Christian. Uh, with its beginnings, sometimes in the 1700s, Western Europe, Freemasonry, or the Masons, are very religious. It's a secretive organization that goes beyond having fraternal characteristics to an elaborate religion surrounded by mystery. But the craft, capital C as it's known, can be very alluring for many reasons. One of the clearest definitions of Freemasonry that I found is that it's a very peculiar system of morality and works veiled in allegory, illustrated by symbols, and expressed through rituals, oaths, good works, and achieving degrees. Freemasonry, Eastern Star, and other similar secret organizations appear to be harmless fellowship gatherings, fraternal maybe. Many of them appear to promote belief in God. However, Upon closer examination, and we'll get into that with Pastor John, uh, we find that the only belief requirement is not that one must believe in the true and living God, but rather that one must believe in the existence of a supreme being, which includes many gods or any god, Islam, Hinduism, or any other religion. The unbiblical beliefs and practices of this organization, of this religion, Freemasonry, are partially hidden beneath an outward appearance of a supposed compatibility 
with the Christian faith. But we're going to talk about that today. So, Pastor John Pinnell, you grew up with your dad, a very active and perhaps prominent member of the Masonic Lodge in your community. So let's just start with growing up and how that impacted you as a child. Yeah, the Masonic Lodge that is in Waukegan, Illinois, and it's still there, Lodge Number 78. Uh, not the same building, though. The building that I was familiar with, uh, would I told the church on Sunday, because I actually taught on this, that it might remind you of something like Downton Abbey. It was a huge structure, uh, a library or sitting room. That's where I pulled in the Downton Abbey uh, thing that was you know, several different chairs and formats and fireplaces, auditoriums, uh, places where they would have potluck meals, we would call it, serve dinner. Uh, and then they had their secret rooms of the Masonic Order. And I remember being there as a kid. Mom and Dad would be off doing their thing somewhere in that building, and me and my friends would just be running through this huge mansion and exploring all the rooms where people weren't present and sometimes probably where we were not supposed to be, <laughs> but it was a place of fascination for me hmm. um, because they don't build buildings that way anymore. The humorous thing to me is that obviously it was a very healthy lodge, a big stone and brick structure, four stories high, that they can't keep it up. So they ended up selling it, the state did, for like $87,000 in back taxes <laughs> uh, several years ago. So. They no longer meet in that huge structure that I was familiar with, but the lodge still continues on. And I was telling my kids, they remember being at some of the events, and you know, usually like Santa Claus, take them to see Santa Claus or Easter. Mm -hmm. They would have something for children. So even my children remember being around Masonic stuff, not as thoroughly as I do, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but my son commented and said, yeah, I got a couple of my buddies who have gotten involved with that as well. Mm. So it's still attractive to people. Wow. Um, I see in your notes that uh, you sent, and you've been you know, starting a, a little series on this at your church, that uh, you would go through the hallways, you would see, actually it was founded in 1849, and, and you'd see pictures of the past grandmasters, and your dad was a grandmaster at that Masonic Lodge, and you said he looked so dignified in the picture there on the wall, black tuxedo, top hat. Tell us about that. I mean, did you want to emulate him? I'm sure as a child you thought that was really neat, and uh, just your thoughts on, on that. Well, I think the top hat was something that they passed on to each grandmaster, so you served your term, you had to give up the top hat, because I remember it being in the house and how it used to collapse and pop open. So as a kid, I used to play with it and probably walked around with it in the house. But, yeah, I never uh, thought about the lodge and that stuff. We were very active in the church by this time. And one thing we need, uh, I'll just point out up front, is that lodge came first. Faith in Christ came second for my dad. Mm. And while I was a young boy, dad had become a believer. But, you know, God works in us in all different ways, and sometimes he takes time to kind of purge things out of our system um, that we have gotten involved with in the past. So Lodge membership, I was talking to my wife on Sunday. Uh, my dad, um, not highly educated, coming from the South, and very intelligent man, though. And I, I have a view of 
today's education in our school system probably doesn't even uh, equal the education that my dad got through freshman year in high school. You know, he's probably more prepared for life uh, just going through the ninth grade than people are going through four years of college mm-hmm. today. But yep. besides the point, um, I think it was a way to kind of plug into the community, to find a place in the community, kind of, you know, they talk about it as a fraternity. So really a place where people, men could join and their wives would be part of it as well, where they could kind of feel accomplished in the community that they were raising their kids in. Boy, I read something. I think it was in either one of the books. It may have been from what you sent me, uh, John, in your notes that uh, this idea of brotherhood, uh, fraternity, how they're loyal to one another, how they're willing to help their fellow brothers during difficult times. And when I read that, I'm thinking, that sounds like community. That sounds like the early church. That sounds like what the Christian church should be. And isn't that how you responded to your dad when he was describing, you know, the what the lodge, what, what membership meant to him? Yeah, my dad passed away when he was 56. So this all took place somewhere in the mid to early 20s of my 20s. And there was a point to where he said he wanted to sponsor me in the lodge. And I asked him why. I mean, why would I want to join the lodge? I was familiar with it, of course. And I'd asked him before about some of the secret stuff, and he would not tell me. So I have no information from Dad, Hmm. only from what I've read, you know, apart from that. He just, like, you'd have to join the lodge to find out. So he would never divulge anything but when I asked him everything that you explained, the brotherhood, the community, uh, that they'll always be there for you, I said to him, what you just described to me is what the church is supposed to be. Mm. And I believe that's where we have failed in the church. If people are looking for something else, I in my message on Sunday, I kept referring back to all the different isms in the world. You know, you have socialism, Marxism, sexism, there's a bunch of different isms in the world so i kept using that phrase and we have a retired pastor in our church who came up and he told me the quote where it was found i couldn't find it online but it was basically like this all the different isms are to corral the people and keep them you know hemmed in Mm -hmm. so we have all these different isms in our world and it's really just you know a thought of controlling the masses to put them into an ism and if the church fails then we'll find that people will look for something else to fill the void because God has yep. given us this Christ longing. I believe it's in our DNA, although medically we may not be able to prove that, but a desire for God. Mm. And we'll find fulfillment somewhere. It might not be the right fulfillment that we find. And I believe the Lodge offered that. And in my notes, I also said that my dad may have experienced it because he had uh, heart surgery when he was in his mid-30s and spent six months in the hospital at that time because uh, replacing a, a valve in the heart was kind of brand-new surgery, that they were able to hold his job and to keep him employed Wow! even after being off work for six months, which was pretty rare in the yeah. 1960s. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think the Masons were involved with that. Mm. And even when I worked there, I worked at the same factory when I was 18, Absolutely hated it. That's why I became a brick mason. But um, my my boss was, I noticed his ring 
that he had a Masonic ring on. And I said, oh, my dad's part of the lodge. Maybe you know him. Well, my boss was a black man, and he just laughed at me. And he goes, no, I think we belong to different lodges. <laughs> so there was even segregation that, yep. you know, looking back on it, I didn't even pay attention to that. It's not segregated like that today. If you look up the Waukegan Lodge, they're not segregated today, but it was then. And uh, so you had a lot of things playing in uh, at that time. So, yeah, I think the church fails mm. in community, yeah. and people will look for it somewhere. Yep. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, isn't that, I, not to stray off to another topic, I just want to make this point, isn't that one of the big draws of the LGBTQ ideology is there's this community and there's this popularity and friendship and support and that's kind of what the lodge offers, or it sounds like. And I want to go back to what you shared with me on the home page of the lodge that your dad was a member of. This is subtle deception, friends. It says, we make good men better. And, John, you wrote that now, what man, if he's being honest, would not want to become a better man? So spiritual and mental enlightenment and, and so all this. So this is one of the draws, the community or fraternity the promise to make a good man better, but explain to us how it is likely a religion based primarily on works, is it not? Yeah, the whole making good men better, when you come in to the Blue Lodge, which is the first three degrees, my dad was part of the Scottish Rite and made it to the 32nd degree, and from what I understand, the 33rd degree is an honorary title that they might give. But he went through the whole process. But all Masons go through the Blue Lodge, which is the first three degrees. And then from there, it could divide out to the York or the Scottish Rite, depending on, uh, I guess, what their lodge follows at that point. So making good men better, when you do that first pledge, you are saying that you are coming from darkness and that you are actually there to gain light. So what if I was a believer in Jesus Christ, and I would have to my first pledge say, I'm coming out of darkness? Well, no, I already came out of darkness because I received Christ as my Savior. So mm. they're putting you at a place where, yes, they may morally try to help you on a path. But I think our big mistake is that we, our definition of good is different than God's. We define good by comparing other people's kindness, and when God speaks about good, he's comparing our sinfulness to his sinlessness, our wickedness to his righteousness, our injustices to his justice. So our standard of good does not live up to God's standard, never has since the fall there in the garden. Hmm. And so there's deception in that of making good men better. They begin with the thought that all people are good. A lot of people would say that, right? Yeah. If you ask someone if they're going to go to heaven, the number one answer, why would you go? Because I'm good. So we all have that tendency, it, it seems, to believe that all are good yeah. and that we can make ourselves better. It's just the process uh, can be dangerous of how you go about that. Exactly. And, of course, as faithful believers, we want to look to Christ and to have him and through the Holy Spirit work in our lives and through God's word to kind of guide us through the life Amen. of walking in fellowship with God. All right, so much more coming up with Pastor John Pinnell, Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa on Freemasonry next.
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Today's topic is Freemasonry, a deceptive, quote, religion, and the Masonic Lodge. And we're going to answer these questions. We can't do a thorough job. We could literally do six hours on all the information that we have at our disposal. But you can look some of this up. Um, great book, by the way, Fast Facts on False Teachings by Ron Carlson and Ed Decker. This came out like in 1996 or something like that. Great chapter, Freemasonry and the Masonic Lodge. I reread it this morning. It's 20 pages and uh, a lot of great information. But how is the Mormon Church similar to the Masonic Blue Lodge, where there's temple rituals and things like that? We'll talk about that. Are there occult origins? Is the Masonic Lodge another gospel? Um, before we answer these questions, and we will, Pastor John, your dad started out as a Freemason, and what we didn't share yet is he ended up to be a, an evangelical pastor of a church for, I think, 12 years, and he got out of the lodge, and I want you to just share how that came to be, and it's like giving it away. We wanted to wait until the end, but you know what? It's important to share that. Your dad did not stay in Freemasonry. Yeah, my dad, um, his faith journey actually, from his testimony, would have started at the Lodge, because Mm -hmm. when he took that first degree of the Blue Lodge, they gave him a Bible. It was a Christian Bible, and they said to him, in this book, you will find all the answers to life. So that was the first Bible my dad ever received or had or owned um, in his life up to that point. I was telling you during the break that my dad used to talk about the Christians that he saw sitting on the bar stools next to him when he used to drink and be in the bars, (laughs) and he said, if that's Christianity, I want no part of it. So he had seen the bad side of so-called Christians, I guess, and you know, came from a broken home, and probably a lot in his life kind of steered him away from church, but it was at the lodge where he received his first Bible, and years later he would testify and tell that very same thing, that they gave me a Bible and said, in this book you will find all the answers to life, and he said, I did find the answer, and his name is Jesus. Hmm. So he came to faith when I was two months old, at a Southern Baptist church. He originally went to a Methodist church with my mom, and he was convicted by the teaching, but the Methodists at that time didn't offer any kind of resolution other than join the church. So there was no altar call. This is what you need to do. You need to receive Christ. The preacher would just tell him, all you have to do is join the church, and he knew it wasn't sufficient. So they were at a revival meeting. They used to have them every spring and fall when I was growing up as a kid at the Baptist church. And he said, finally, I heard someone tell me what I needed to do. And he responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, gave his heart to the Lord. Hmm. And it was really the becoming a pastor as he worked his way through church, you Hmm. know, a junior high, uh, boy teacher. I asked my mom these things before she passed away because I wanted this knowledge. So he was teaching the junior high boy and boys. And I asked mom, I said, what about his drinking and smoking? Because 
pictures of mom and dad in the past. Dad, <laughs> 1950s, always had the cigarette pack rolled up in his T-shirt, <laughs> yeah. just like they did in the 50s. And she said the drinking stopped immediately, but the smoking took a little longer. Mm. He was teaching the boys in Sunday school and decided that he needed to be set an example for them. So it was hard for them. But when I grew up to that church, in between Sunday school and church, uh, it was like the smoking room right outside the front door. So it was not very welcoming when people came to church because they had to go in and get their cigarettes. It, a lot has changed. I'm glad today. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of where I grew up. But it was his stroke that kind of brought him, you know, from teaching Sunday school, he was already a deacon at the church. But when he had that stroke and he was in for heart surgery and spent most of the time just waiting for it to happen, and twice they had prepped him for surgery, but because he had O-negative blood, they needed it for accident victims uh, mm. in Chicago, so they delayed the surgery. So somewhere in there, Dad prayed, Lord, if you can make me as good as man as I am today, then I'll serve you all the days of my life. Mm. So somewhere in there, he prayed this prayer to God that God reminded him of two years later. And on the same day that uh, this is real interesting. On the same day Dad surrendered to the ministry to preach the gospel, the guy who would be his song director at the church also was convicted by the Lord that same day and surrendered his life to the ministry. And uh, they did not know each one was going to do it on that same day. Wow. So God was putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And so for a while, as my dad is a pastor, he was like Mr. Popular in the Masonic Lodge, and he got invited to some big events from Waukegan all the way down into Chicago. In Chicago, you would have more of the Shriners. Um, and of course, you have the Shriners ho- Hospital. It's all a further step of the Masonic Order. And uh, eventually, they had a problem with him preaching Christ at these events. So you're supposed to respect, respect all the religions, since they don't deem one God who created the heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. or any God will do as long as you believe in a God. Yep. They did not like my dad uh, using the name of Jesus. And so I think at that point, the Masonic Lodge really started to diminish as far as priority mm-hmm. in my dad's life. I can't say he ever totally got out of it, renounced it, walked away from it. The whole culture, I mean, one church in Zion, Illinois, the pastor preached against the Masonic Lodge as a cult, and he lost several of his members from one sermon. Mm. So we grew up in an area where it really just wasn't talked about in the church or addressed. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, John, I want to clarify that they do give initiates a Bible and say the answers are found within, and yet they allow any religion, they're open to other gods and worshiping other gods, kind of like a religious pluralism or syncretism in a way. But I'm thankful that your dad's path led to the true God, the only living God, Jesus Christ, and who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. You mentioned the Shriners. I want to talk about the Fez, F-E-Z. This is fascinating to me. People see the Shriners parading around in the red Fezes, that's you know, the things that uh, are on their hats, their uniforms. And it's an example. I've, I was reading about this this morning. There's a double meaning uh, behind most of the, you know, the Freemasons' 
I call, well, what this book calls it a facade. It's worn by every Shriner, carried to the grave with pompous dignity. Um, in the early 8th century, Muslim hordes overran the Moroccan city of Fez, F-E-Z, shouting, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. There, they butchered the Christian community in the name of Allah, a demon god, of course, who to whom every shriner apparently must bow in worship with hands tied behind his back, proclaiming him to be the god of his fathers in the shrine initiation at the altar of obligation. Um, before I go on, this is fascinating. I, most people don't understand this. John, did I miss anything? Because we look at the shriners as... A philanthropic organization. They do a lot of great work in the community. They have the Shriners Hospital, you know. So what else can you tell us about the Shriners? I can't really tell you a lot about them other than I saw them every year at the parade. Okay. Uh, motorcycles. And, well, most uh, people don't. That they would have. My dad was actually, you had to be invited to join. You had to be sponsored, just like my dad wanted to sponsor me mm-hmm. in the Masonic Lodge. You would have to be sponsored to become part of the Shriners. And that was something that Dad turned down um, and did not go to that level uh, with the Shriners. So we were never part of that. And I don't remember much of that activity in our lodge itself. What struck me about what you read was that they would take the Fez with them to the grave. Yep. And just like... Um, the first order of the Blue Lodge, the first degree, the Mason gets an apron mm-hmm. that he wears, and that's something that he is also supposed to take to the grave. The apron represents works and okay. basically representing good works, and that was something where um, I I was in my late 20s when Dad passed away, but I told Mom, I said, you are not burying Dad with that apron on because it would talk about another way Mm. to Christ. You know, it would send a mixed message. So there were things in the Masonic Lodge. They have funerals, and they would say it's to honor the person and not part of a religion. But, you know, that apron was one that stood out to me. This signifies good works. And in my mind, you might think of, well, God, why are you going to let me into heaven? well, look, I have the Good Works apron on, Hmm. um, and it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. So I made sure that that apron was not uh, with my dad when he was put in the grave. And I think one of my sisters has it today. Wow. But uh, I wanted to make sure that, you know, that talks about works to me. If you need to take that stuff to the grave with you, then what are you dependent on? Exactly. You're dependent on your faith or you're dependent on your works. Uh, John, that, that part of your story, I believe, is where Christ gets the glory, because you took a stand, and your dad was saved, and you said, you know what, this apron represents something that is not of God. In fact, the book that I was reading from uh, says all those good works are simply an outer shell of an inner darkness. And I want to talk about oaths and this initiation and swearing oaths, and we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33, in a minute. But I want to finish up this little paragraph on the Shriners, which I found to be fascinating. Um, The initiate swears that he will be inseparably obligated to this most powerful binding oath. 
The Shriner's blood oath and confession of Allah as God is documented in the secret lodge document, The Mystic Shrine, an illustrated ritual of the ancient Arabic order nobles of the shrine. And during the butchering of the people of Fez that we mentioned earlier, the streets literally had blood. There were blood in the streets of the martyred Christians. The Muslim murderers dipped their caps in the blood of their victims as a testimony to Allah. These blood-stained caps eventually were called fezes and became a badge of honor for those who killed a Christian. The Shriners wear that red fez today with the Islamic sword and crescent encrusted with jewels on the front. And so this is just some of the history that we really haven't heard a lot about. Um, we hear about the Blue Lodge being the foundation of all Freemasonry. But let's talk about swearing oaths. And, John, I'm just going to read from Matthew 5, and you can share your thoughts on vows and oaths. And it says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, Take no oath at all, neither by heaven, for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black, but make sure your statement is yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil origin." Pastor John, your thoughts on these oaths that need to be taken in order to be initiated into the Masonic Lodge? This is kind of where, at our church this Sunday, I took the message of saying that we all need to have a biblical worldview and in making decisions, because there's a lot of different things in life. It doesn't have to be the Masonic Lodge. It could be other things that come up upon us in life that we have to make decisions about either making commitments or not making commitments. And Jesus just kind of lays it out there, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Mm-hmm. And any more of these is from the evil one. So there's a danger when you give your word. And if we think about the Old Testament, that the giving of pledges in the book of Deuteronomy talks about once a pledge was given, then you had to hold true to your word. So God we may not think much of it, but God <laughs> thinks a lot about the oaths and the pledges that we take, and he may hold us accountable to these things. I think that's why Jesus basically telling us, keep it simple. Don't get so entangled in the world and all these things that you might get into. And, uh, you know, by maintaining a biblical worldview, it kind of helps us to judge whether we should be involved in these things or not. I read something online from one of the pollsters that was talking about the Christian church, though, that has a biblical worldview, uh, George Barna, saying that that is only— actually, I heard him on Charlie Kirk's show Mm -hmm. talking to Charlie say that that's only 6% of the Christian church. Wow. But when I went online to look it up through George Barna— uh, they had only 4%, and he had different levels of it. So mm-hmm. it's really rare for people to have a biblical worldview. And what Barna described was people might say that they have a biblical worldview, 
but it's how they live it out and they take parts of different religions or um, beliefs and kind of mesh them together to form their biblical worldview, which is great with this uh, Shriner Fez, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, you know, I didn't know how it was, but you kind of take a little bit from different religions and you see that in the Masonic order with the symbols, yep. symbols that they have, the symbolism that they use in the order. They're just grabbing from different things that when you look at the symbols, sometimes you can easily say, you know what? That's not of Christ. It's like a no brainer. And, uh, it should be easy just to kind of walk away from that. I think in our world, if we look at it from the word of God, there's a lot of things that we could say, this should be a no brainer. We shouldn't have to worry about this and, uh, stay true to the word of God. So we have Amen. to worry about Galatians 1 8. If we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, Paul said, let them be accursed. So we, you know, really need to determine, is this another gospel? Especially when you're talking about an organization like the Masonic Lodge. Yeah. And, uh, that's a question that a lot of people ask about the Lodge. The Lodge would say no, but they, the way they handle and conduct themselves, it, it seems the answer is a yes. Yes, absolutely. And it is another gospel. Amen. Uh, we're talking with Pastor John Pinnell, Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, Illinois. We Hopefully we'll get to a little bit about Albert Pike and possibly Foster Bailey when we come back. But we'll talk a little bit more about this initiation process. Do they really take a blood initiation oath? Is that really what they're doing? And what words are they using? Do they really bind themselves under the penalty of having their throat cut? And, and keeping secrets. More about Freemasonry and the Lodge on Stand Up for the Truth in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're going to close this by talking about the effect of a good old steak and egg breakfast at a church and how you can draw people in and people can, you know, um, well, they can deny false religions and come to know the true Lord Jesus Christ by fellowship over food. We'll get to that in a minute. But I've got information on a book called The Builders, uh, written by Joseph Ford Newton. And it says, The goal of masonry is to bring about a universal league of mankind and to form mankind into a great redemptive brotherhood. He declares that masonry expands all religious dogmas and it will they will all cease to be. And what remains is, quote, the one eternal religion that Masons are bringing to the world. That's very interesting. These books that you can look up, they're written by Masons. And these are the, their quotes. And they're saying the goal, according to its leading authorities, is to do away with religions and creeds and doctrines and to establish a one-world religion, a universal religion, free from, quote, the confining dogma. Pastor John Pinnell, there's a a plug for the one-world religion, right, the New World Order. So we're seeing that is is almost prophetic in one of their goals stated in this book, correct? Yeah, it reminded me when you were reading that of the Tower of Babel. Their desire was to build a power, and maybe they were worried about having God destroy them with a flood again and to escape that. But the purpose in the Bible tells us 
that they could build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heaven, hmm. and let us make a name for ourselves that we would not be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And that's Genesis eleven four. And so God saw the tower, that unity, that one world uh, desire there, and he scattered them. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, when you go to the point of unity, and that's with the Masonic Lodge, if you're as in a Islamic Lodge, you'd have the Quran on the altar. Mm. Uh, if you're in a Jewish Lodge, you'd have the Torah on the altar. So any religion will do. Mm. But, you know, there can only be one God. So yes, amen. that's where we have to kind of draw the line yeah. of saying, you know, if any religion will do, then is my religion sufficient? Is Christ what he spoke true? And either we stand upon it and say that it is, and then we live accordingly, or we can get fall, fall into traps like many people do in organizations that they might get involved with. So I want to share what you put in your notes about the Grand Lodge of the state of Illinois. Right on their website, it says, Masonry is definitely not a religion and is one of the few forms where men of every religion can come together. And I'm going, wait a minute, not a religion. Everything we've read or talked about so far, almost everything, would indicate a works righteousness, a pursuit of works and getting to God or levels, achievement, and doing good to your neighbor, which is biblical, but it's all about works. I, but I do want to get back real quick to their initiation in the, into the Blue Lodge. And one question that needs to be asked is, how can you put a blindfold on, come before a man in the lodge called the Worshipful Master, and say, I am lost in darkness and need the light of Freemasonry? In light of First John 4, I'm sorry, First John chapter 1, 4 through 7, how can you come before a man and say that no one can serve two masters. So, John, I want to get your response to this. The typical ceremony begins with the initiate into Freemasonry being first divested of his jacket and tie and any money or metal articles he has. His left pant leg is then rolled up over his knee. His shirt is opened on one side to expose his left breast, and his right shoe is removed and replaced by a slipper. Just these kind, and then he's blindfolded, of course, and the candidate thus attired is said to be in darkness when, it's, when he's blindfolded. And this is an allegory of masonry that signifies that everyone outside of masonry is in darkness, and that only masons have the true knowledge that will bring light to the world. This is a perversion of the gospel, Pastor John. Yeah, you read that and... I find it hard to believe that my dad went through that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. are you are you kidding me, Dad? <laughs> you know. Um I was texting with my sister, one of my sisters last night too, and uh they're probably listening or will be listening today, but you know, even surprised as well she was that uh not realizing we grew up around this. So mm-hmm. this is very familiar to us except for all these secret things that uh, we didn't know was taking place. And so, yeah, I find that the part of that oath that says we're coming from darkness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're without Christ, then, yeah, you are taking some oath made by man coming from darkness and 
getting a different type of darkness. Um, but if you're a believer, and which I would have been if I would have been sponsored in the lodge, Dad <laughs> offered to sponsor me. Yeah. Uh, I would have been coming from light, and I wouldn't have got too far. I can tell you that. Wow. <laughs> pretty, this. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Some of the things that when I first heard of this years ago, of what some of their practices or rituals, I thought, no way. No, I mean, people. how can people fall for that or be led into that? But I want to jump to something that um, this great Masonic scholar, Dr. Albert Pike, wrote and he is the most universally accepted authority on Freemasonry. Um, he wrote the, they call it the Bible of Masonry, entitled Morals and Dogma of the Ancient and Accepted Right. Now, Albert Pike was the sovereign grand commander of the Southern Supreme Council, AA Scottish Rite, 32 years. And in Pike's book, uh, is the most complete exposition of Masonic philosophy there is. Whenever I hear that word philosophy, I think of Colossians 2.8, do not be taken captive by the worldly philosophies. Um, but it says this, they admit this, they deceive their own initiates and members. It says, quote, the blue degrees are but the outer court or portico of the temple. Part of the symbols are displayed there to the initiate, the initiate, the initiate, the person being initiated. But, <laughs> but he is intentionally misled by false interpretations. Masonry, like all religions, all the mysteries and alchemy conceals its secrets from all except the sages or the elect. And get this, uses false explanations and misinterpretations of its symbols to mislead those who deserve only to be misled to conceal the truth. So this is interesting, Pastor John. What I get from this is they don't understand, those who are being initiated, they don't understand what, what they're swearing oaths to, what secrets they're going to be keeping down the road. Do I understand that right? Yeah, it seems to be. As you were reading that, I was thinking it really fits our liberal media today, what yeah. you were describing there. <laughs> yes, big amen. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to shield and hide the actual truth that is going on. And I think that, you know, that would be part of the 33 degrees of the Scottish Rite, that mm. you gain more knowledge, right, as you take each of these degrees, um, become more enlightened, would be perhaps the thought behind that. We think about Albert Pike. I was reading last weekend only because I was preparing for the show, but they, that there's like a hundred thousand books written about masonry. So wow. there's a lot of information out there. And he is one of uh, many of the scholars that yep. they look to. Um, yep. but they really have nothing so codified that there's like one law that they look to. So it's really, jumbled, yeah. uh, depending on what lodge you're part of, too. It's interesting. Uh, masonry claims to be the center of the one universal religion in a way, and that people will join together in this uh, universal religion or brotherhood. But I want to quote Albert Pike again. He said, We belong to no one creed or school. In all religions, there is a basis of truth. In all, there is pure morality. Masonry is a worship, but one in which all civilized men can unite. But when I, you know, I, I read that, John, and I think of 
um, events where the Pope gets together with an evangelical pastor and, uh, you know, uh, um, a rabbi and uh, 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 imam from uh, the religion of Islam. And I'm thinking, boy, this is fascinating that it points to signs of the times, doesn't it? Yeah, according to Pike, it seems that any religion will do as long as you're a lodge member and believe in the supreme grand master of the universe. Yeah. Uh, you know, they really are very not selective as far as having the one God Mm -mm. and belief in one God and one way to God. So very challenging for people who are part of the Masonic order and uh, a danger. So as Christians, we just got to keep pointing to the truth and we got to do it in a Christ-like way that is not enforced, Mm. but in love. And I'll tell you this one story as you already teased it at the start of this segment. Yep, but go ahead. It was, uh, we had an outreach men's breakfast, steak and eggs, and one of the guys in our church was having his business, the offices, remodeled. So he just brought the whole construction crew over to the church for breakfast that day. <laughs> and one of the guys was wearing a Masonic Lodge baseball cap. And so I introduced myself and told him that my dad was part of the lodge and you know, I didn't attack him. I just, uh, as Colossians 4, 6 would say, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how you ought to answer each one. And so somewhere in that conversation, I told him, you got to make sure that you're keeping Jesus the main thing, something like that. Hmm. And he ended up, he and his family, attending our church and really helping us in a number of ways. Praise as he God. Was, uh, construction workers, so... And an air conditioning guy. So we had, <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> we had a guy who could work on our air conditioners and <laughs> heaters and pour concrete, too. But um, he died having cancer. And the very last time I talked to him, he said, Pastor John, you're right. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean I'm right? He said, none of that other stuff matters. It's all about Jesus. So he remembered those words that I first spoke to him at that breakfast. Mm. And I was the one who did the funeral for art and uh, was able to share those words to his lodge brothers. Mm. So I got to tell the Masons in that room today that their Mason brother said, none of that other stuff matters. Mm. It's all about Jesus. Praise God. So that's where we need to drive people to. Yes. And once they get to Christ and they get into the Word of God and start really having a biblical worldview, uh, they'll be able to see clearly and be able to discern, be, uh, discern between truth and that which is false. Mm. And that's, you know, for everything that we could be involved with in this world today, um, really discerning that which is yeah. truth versus that which is false. Yes. Amen. Uh, brother, thank you. You did say in your notes, um, you know, you were very honest about your dad's involvement in the Lodge, but yet the Masonic Lodge and him getting his first Bible was part of your dad's faith journey. So praise God that he did testify to the Lord Jesus as the only true God. But I want to leave you with a quote, friends, uh, from ex-Masons for Jesus, because there are people that find out the truth and God convicts their hearts, so it's not over for a lot of people. It says, while we were Masons, we sometimes were asked questions about Freemasonry by other church members who were not Masons. Because we had taken an oath to conceal and never reveal the secret teaching of Freemasonry under the penalty of having our throats cut from ear to ear, 
We were reluctant to respond truthfully. We beg the forgiveness of our brothers and sisters in Christ for the less than honest answers we provided while we were Masons. Since we have repented, we have been released from the oaths. And that's where Jesus Christ gets the praise and glory. When people turn away from false gods to the only living God, to the true God. Uh, Pastor John, uh, how can we be praying for you, your church, Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, Illinois? And uh, what, how can we be praying for you guys? Well, um, provision for our fellowship, but also our church family. I mean, we're all going through this recession. I just heard earlier of uh, months ago they were saying that recession's costing people like $5,200 a year. Last week they're saying it's up to like $7,200 a year. More, yes. And so that is a lot for any family to kind of... Mm maintain you know yeah. that's almost getting close to 10 grand that's a big deal and it is it's impacting our churches as well yes. so when i pray for our church i pray for our church provision but also the provision of the families within our fellowship as well friends check out cclv.org that's calvary chapel lake villa and if you're in the northern illinois area you want to check out a great church where you, you know you're going to get good bible teaching check out pastor john Pennell, brother thank you so much for your time great podcast brother You're most welcome, David. Thank you. All right, we've got tomorrow Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson. He's got a great book out called Traced. You're going to want to hear about that. Also, Brad Matz will be with us on Thursday. He's the president of Life Issues Institute. And prophecy expert John Haller on the biblical worldview and globalism, what's happening around the world. We'll hear from him on Friday. Thanks, guys, again for sharing the podcast. You rock. God bless you, and as always... Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.